And welcome back, everyone, to yet another edition of Going for Two, presented by our good friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my colleague and friend, Brian Fisher. And it is exciting uh, to be able to talk to you, Brian, after actual football games were played. How, how was your How was your weekend? Was was this uh, Was this a, a relief, an, an exciting time, anticlimactic? What, how, how are we feeling? Well, it depends on if you're asking me or my wife. I'm, I'm sure there <laughs> might be two different answers on on, yeah. on that front. But uh, yeah, no, it was uh, fantastic to have college football back in us, back in our good graces. And uh, you know, luckily because of the, the the way the weekend is is just structured with week one coming up, we only got to go four days without it. So that that's that's the even better part is not only did we actually get some actual live college football on our screens, but uh, we we don't have to wait long for for the next go around with uh, a lot more teams across FBS. Is is. The, the bringing the, the start of college football again as source of consternation in the Fisher household because it makes you feel any better. My wife Taylor and my children are very ambivalent about it as well. Yeah, you know, I I think certainly uh, it's different, you know, especially with two, two young kids. Although it was nice to have my, uh, my my son was in my office with me, and you know, I have yeah. have a little area set up for him so that uh, I, I can teach him all about uh, touchdowns and uh, you know what what three wide means and uh, you know how, how we yeah. how we defend uh, you Perfectly know quarters and stuff. So you know, th I think that's uh, you know one thing that uh, is a bit different this year. But um, you know, I, I think the the thing about football season in general. And it, this is true for, for a lot of folks in, in college athletics. It does mean kind of the start of, Hey, this is the, the fall season. And it's not just, just football going on, uh, you know, for, for a lot of these campuses, but it's just busy every single day. It's not necessarily all about Saturday where you are, you know, watching hours upon hours of games and, and then probably following up uh, a little on Sunday as well. But, like the, the thing about it is, you know, there's press conferences on Monday and Tuesday. You know, you got, uh, you know, calls with people that uh, you, you got to chat with throughout the week. There's, um, you know, pregame. And then it kind of all starts again on, on Thursday with, with some additional games. So it's like that uh, you throw in travel occasionally. I mean, it, it is uh, a bit much, you know, in terms of just the, the amount of hours you start working uh, during the college football season. But, uh, you know, as they always say, you know, if you're you love what you're doing, it's not really work. And that's uh, kind of how I feel about when uh, when football season rolls around. I, that's definitely how I feel, especially at the very beginning, right? If, if I'm being completely honest, do I feel a little bit differently around like November 5th? Do I have the same pep in my step for a Wednesday night Mac game on Wednesday, November 5th, as I do for that same game played on a, on a Friday in August? It, uh, there's clearly a difference. And I know that's true for the people we talk to as well. Um, you know, it's I feel a little bit better about it because I don't have to do 13 hour Saturdays like I did when I was at Vox and I can watch some of those things on Sunday. I can kind of spread it out a little bit, but also because, you know, it's, you're doing more during the day too, but, but it was, it was exciting for, for in our household, right? My, I had my, my kids and I watched the Northwestern Nebraska game together. We kind of checked in with some of the stuff in the afternoon, the solid verbal. It was doing, had a live Chicago show, some of our, our, our media friends in Chicago. And I went and saw that, uh, that evening and kind of followed along with Hawaii, uh, you know, at the end, um, it was, I think, interesting in what happened on the field. And we can talk about a couple of those things. And some of them were funny and weird. And and we have those. But there were also, I, I think, two off the field stories that are easy to kind of fall under the wayside, beyond the wayside, given the college football news cycle. But give, you know, given our what we talk about, I felt like we should we could spend a little bit of time talking through uh, you know, two of these. So then if we have time, we can. We can make fun of Scott Frost like everyone else is doing, but I, I, I don't want these to go completely unmentioned. Brian, did you, we, I guess we're going to start with this one. Did you by chance watch any of the UNC Florida AM game? 
I, I did actually watched uh, quite a bit of, of that game. Uh, you know, Drake May is his first start, uh, you know, at, at UNC as a quarterback, but uh, yeah. I don't think that uh, by far got any of the headlines. And, and especially, you know, credit to the ACC network crew that was uh, kind of live and on site and, and promoting and, and televising that game. They, they covered the story with FAMU, um, you know, pretty, pretty regularly to kind of update the viewers in terms of what, what, Initially happened and what what kind of has happened and uh, we actually had some some developments as as we kind of tape uh, early in the week in terms of the players themselves sending letters but uh, I'll, I'll let you get the get the ultimate background before we kind of get into it a little bit. Yeah, the 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 final score. In, in case you missed it, I did not watch the entire game. I I, I kind of bounced around here a little bit. North Carolina wins fifty six to twenty four. Uh, this was a competitive football game into i would say late third quarter into the fourth quarter like I, I don't know if i ever felt like unc was going to lose but it was it was certainly they had to work harder than maybe the final score might might have might have indicated that is not super uncommon for a week one or week zero p5 uh fcs game that kind of thing happens even with an hbcu what was especially no and this should be a good florida AM team by the way what was especially notable though about this game is the one it almost didn't happen and when it did happen, Florida AM was especially uh, uh, shorthanded. It, leading up into this game, I, I, I believe, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't have the final number in front of me. I think it was close to 20 members were unable to compete in this game because they were ineligible, not because of anything necessarily that they did, but because of compliance, of compliance and certification issues being worked through. When an athlete transfers from one program to another, uh, and I think anybody that's spent a lot of time in higher education knows this, even independent of the NCAA, there's a ton of paperwork that has to happen. They have to, your major gets certified, the credit hours you're taking that gets has to get certified to the NCAA, to make sure that you're, that you're progressing towards a degree, that this credit hour is certified by this university and is applied to this major and moving forward. And, you know, I remember as an Ohio State undergrad, this was, I think, my single most frustrating thing. As a guy whose email was brown.2600, it's very easy for someone to get lost in this bureaucratic shuffle. And that's at a place like Ohio State, which, for all of its faults, is this, you know, a gigantic institution that has a gajillion of these people, not just in the athletic department, but serving the student body as a whole. Florida A&M, for lots of reasons, including historical and structural racism, does not have those resources. And, uh, you know, leading into this game, um, as, as there's a, the, the members of the football team had written, had produced a letter, wrote a letter to the university president pointing out that, like, a lot of this wasn't our fault. And then we had to see the national media insinuate or people on Twitter insinuate that we couldn't play because we weren't working hard in school when rather it, these a lot of these were paperwork issues. And that part of that was because you know the, the, the athletes are saying our compliance department has one person, and that person doesn't have a lot of subject matter expertise in athletic compliance. And you got to certify 300 people quickly. Um, it doesn't happen. Of course, there's going to be mistakes, man. Like I, I can tell you that last year, I am aware of at least one game, a, a Chicago State women's soccer game, that was canceled for this exact reason. They didn't have a full-time compliance director hired. They had a couple of people working behind the scenes between COVID, between injuries and a handful of certification issues. The athletes literally could not get on the bus and the game was canceled like five hours before kickoff. This occasionally happens at the very beginning of the season with really low resource institutions. I can't think of a time, maybe you remember this. I can't think of a time where it's happened for a division one football game. Like not even an FBS football game, like an FCS football game. I can't remember the last time that it's happened. 
Yeah. And, and a lot of that is just because, you know, because football starts so much earlier in terms of the calendar process there, yeah. usually the compliance is, is processing a lot of the, the kind of paperwork stuff for a lot of their players, you know, really for, for the past month, you know, and then other schools, you know, other sports are going to get on campus a little bit later. So there's more time for that. And, and that's one, one factor, but you, you kind of mentioned just the inherent structural problems at a uh, place at, at a lot of HBCUs, you know, and, and I think, you know, FAMU in particular going through a transition right now, you know, they, they've been without an athletic director for uh, going on several months, going back to, to May when, when uh, Courtney Gosha left uh, yeah. out Tulane, um, you know, and, and they've, from what I've been told, they're they're kind of narrowing down that search. They they should have a an AD uh, candidate. I think they've actually interviewed candidates uh, last week. As a matter of fact, Couple, yeah, some of them. So, um, you know, they're they're narrowing down. So you have a department that has interim leadership. They don't have. I, I believe they only have one full time compliance officer right now, which is uh, a bit of an issue. They're actually hiring somebody else uh, in in to help staff up that department. But uh, you know, that, that that's a hiring process that uh, still has to you know kind of run its course. So got a lot of paperwork on kind of one person and uh, probably some some assistance maybe some some help from the actual schooling universities that uh, might be able to contribute to some of these compliance forms but it, it, it's a lot on on one person and um, you know maybe even more so by the fact that this is a week zero matchup and you kind of got to start even a little bit earlier uh, yeah. to, to go up there and play and so I think you, you run into a lot of that I understand what the frustration from the players you know just in terms of you hear academic ineligible and, and all that and, and how how that kind of paints them in, in a broad brush totally understand you know why they you're frustrated yeah. with the situation because this is only frustration, you know, and, and it is not fair for them. And it is something that uh, should have been looked at, uh, you know, far beyond, uh, you know, kind of going into the, the, uh, the right, right. Uh, that, that bus trip down to, uh, to take it uh, to uh, North Carolina. So uh, a lot of frustration, I know from, from the coaching staff that, it, you know, they just not knowing you didn't have any players, uh, you know, that you were counting on, especially some starters uh, going into a, a big matchup like that. I mean, that, that's tough on them, but yeah, you know, like you said, they, they, they fought pretty hard, especially early on in that contest. I mean, they've, um, you know, they were competitive for, for a good two and a half, three quarters. Um, and, you know, this is not, uh, you know, uh, no, probably probably more cause for concern if you were on the uh, UNC sideline, given that they're uh, breaking bringing in Gene Chizik and, and rebooting the defense and starting a new you know true freshman at quarterback. Like there's uh, probably some some more UNC focus uh, nowadays. But uh, yeah, you're right for for uh, FMU in, in particular. I mean, this is a uh, you know it, it it was just a tough way to start the season, and and a lot of it was basically just because of of inherent issues uh, within that department that uh, they, they've got to get squared away first and foremost. Hopefully, once they start uh, making the the AD hiring, can, can kind of go from there. Yeah, definitely a, a perfect storm of institution that's already resource starved and 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 not a whole lot of margin of error. Interim athletic director, shorthanded compliance department, uh, uh, expedited timeline, uh, you know, looking for just from the outside here without knowing all the facts. If, if one person messes up and you have a roster that's in transition, you can see how something like this, while very unfortunate, might happen. Let me let me ask. I'd like to know what you how you what you think about something because as I understand it, ahead of this game, due to injury and attrition and um, uh, ineligibility issues, Florida A and M was traveling to this game with seven offensive linemen, and I don't actually think it was seven scholarship offensive linemen. I think it was seven offensive linemen because remember FCS team does not have eighty five scholarships like an FBS program, and it is I don't know off the top of my head if this is true for Florida A and M. It's not uncommon for HBCU programs, for SWAC and MEAC programs to not fully fund the maximum of, you know, 61 or 62 allotment. Like to have something in the fifties is not uncommon. I am aware of a, of a couple of schools that have even gone a little bit, a little bit under that. So whether it's seven, it's probably not seven linemen on full scholarships traveling up here 
to face a high resource, very hot weather uh, ACC team. And I saw some academics and, and some commentators say, why are we playing this game? Because it's not like it's expected to be terribly competitive anyway. You're not going to learn a whole lot necessarily from this game. And now there might be some legitimate safety issues. What I don't know off the top of my head like what, what the actual minimum requirement is here, but what would you say to somebody who said, what are we doing if we only have seven linemen that now need to go you know, face you know, 60, 70, 80 plays against uh, an ACC program? We, we kind of have seen it in the past, you know, when, when you go back to kind of the, the true thick of the uh, COVID seasons, you know, yeah. in terms of a lot of the conferences put out minimums in terms of number of offensive linemen you can have. And, uh, you know, if you're typically, uh, you know, if you have the 53 man roster in the NFL, um, you know, you're probably carrying a re- more than that, you know, probably eight or nine uh, going into a game, depending on injuries and situation and, and who the who the opponent might be matching up but yeah. um you know the, the the tough part is you know you're you're expect you're going into games expecting if you're a head coach if you're an offensive line coach some of those guys to go down just just the nature of that position you know guys fall into your knee and you get banged up it might be a couple plays you might yeah. lo- you might lose a guy for the entire game in the first quarter and uh you know that's why you talk about offensive line depth i mean that that is critical and safety issues you know i i Maybe you can kind of kind of make that case, you know. I, I'm sure coaches would just to kind of protect themselves a little bit, but um, you know, you as long as you have you can trot out five, I'm, I'm you know, I think you're good to go. But at the end of the day, it's just a a depth question because you are going to lose guys throughout the game, and you never want to be in in the case of kind of kind of going back to your, maybe your high school days where you got to kind of like, all right, well, we're, we're we're down to like five guys. All right, defensive uh, tackle. Yeah, uh, you know, you're, you're you're coming over here on the offensive line now, and you're going to play you're going to play guard for us. Uh, you know, yeah, tight ends. Right. Who's who who on my roster is over 250 pounds and can stand up for a couple of plays. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just a tough situation to deal with. And and that's kind of the the one probably the the, the key position um, where I I know coaches just are are super concerned about their numbers and and having enough depth. Uh, It's hard to find those guys. First and foremost, and and then yeah. to find them, you know, in, in kind of the heat of battle with uh, as important as they are to offenses. And and you kind of saw it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think that was kind of the probably if you're, uh, again, a Tar Heels fan, uh, seeing the new defense, seeing the lack of pressure, you know, especially early on in the game uh, against an offensive lineman that uh, kind of banged up and uh, didn't have the numbers that uh, you kind of expected, uh, much less, you know, kind of playing that uh, at the level. You know, that that was probably a little bit uh, more concerning for those those fans in, in, in Baby Blue. But, uh, you know, credit to, to FAMU. I mean, they, they came in, they competed. And uh, I think that was the, the one takeaway that I kind of had. It was that, you know, uh, given all the adversity that they faced, you know what, they, they came in and, and especially early on, they said, you know what, we're, we're here to play. And uh, that was that was at least encouraging. We'll, we'll see kind of the ramifications and how things go for, go. Uh, in terms of the administration and where the school goes from there. But, um, you know, credit, credit to those players for going out and beating uh, early. Yeah, they, they absolutely was. That was a credit to their team and and the, the coaching staff and and, how, and the relationship that they have there with each other, how they played, especially in, in the first half. I have some sympathy to the argument that maybe we shouldn't be doing this. I would say particularly for an FCS, FBS game where the maybe you might only have like four full offensive lineman scholarships at that kind of level. I also understand that hey if you cancel this game, it's a, UNC loses a lot of money because that now they they lose out on home ticket revenue and concessions and parking and those things. They and if they schedule another game, maybe you play an FCS opponent later in the season, which sometimes happens, now suddenly you're missing a mid a midweek bye week and maybe that has health and safety concerns because especially because you've been practicing all week like you're going to have a game that has health concerns for UNC's athletes. The, a big reason 
why FAMU played this game, of course, was their contract required it. I, I actually have the contract here in front of me. Um, they were going to be paid, it looks like 450 grand for, for participating. And when you have an athletic budget under $30 million, that money matters. And also, if you if they canceled the game with that short notice, they would owe another 450 grand. So that's a $900,000 swing, which might make up your, you know, your earned revenue from tickets for the entire year. Um, that, that, that's, that's, that's more than you're making for media rights, I believe for, for a year. That's a huge chunk of money. It's a big chunk of money for, for most schools, but a even a mountain West program, if they really had to do it, could probably find a way to do it. That's not something that's, that's possible. So it just goes to show how unfortunate it is for athletes to then have to shoulder financial burdens and, and kind of get beat up in the press a little bit and then get physically beat up by a, 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 an opponent where they were kind of playing with one arm behind their back. Really, kudos to them for, for hanging in there. And, and here's hoping that they have a successful season where, one, this off-the-field stuff, like how quickly they get their financial aid checks, hope that gets turned around immediately and that then they're able to have a successful season on the field. Yeah, and, and I, I think you can also kind of set this type of story uh, against the backdrop of, of something that we have also talked about in transformation you know a lot of yeah. the potential requirements for things like you know, getting access to men's basketball tournaments uh, just being a, a division one member now you know in, in the future is, is going to be tied to potential minimums regarding you know people like compliance officers to where you can't just have you know, just exactly one, you know you can't just have one or two trainers you know which has been an issue for, for a lot of these programs as well like some of those those issues that uh, we, we we are starting to see crop up at, at a lot of these schools they're, they're going to be even bigger uh, going forward if they want to truly revision one. Um, you know, that, that's going to be something that, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these programs, uh, if you're FAMU, you're, you're going to have to make the investment, uh, not just in terms of people, but uh, making sure that your program is staffed and, and, uh, and kind of uh, ready to go for the kind of new era. Um, even if you're going to be remain in the, you know, FCS, you know, there, there's going to be some, some changes, you know, coming your way. And, um, you know, this is kind of a, a big early warning sign. If you're kind of the university leadership, as you're going through this process of hiring a new AD, that's kind of got to be in the, in the back of your mind as well. Like we're, we're going to have to fundraise some more. We're, we're going to have to, you know, maybe tap into university resources some more because we're going to have to get back up to kind of those minimum standards and things like compliance. So not only do these things uh, not end up uh, happening again, but uh, also that we can kind of, uh, figure things out going forward to where it's it's much easier for a lot of folks. Talk to a couple other people that are like, well, I don't, I don't think the NCAA is going to really kick HBCUs out unless they absolutely have no other choice. So I don't know what what classification some of these schools are going to be in here, but you definitely need to be able to meet a minimum standard and funding things like summer school for athletes that really have to be on campus all year, like most Division One football players do, and making sure that they get their money on time. That's a minimum standard. That's a minimum standard that you should be able to clear at Division Two, let alone Division One. Um, I, I realize that that's a. I mean, that's that's a, a frustrating off the field story. It, there's there's some positives to take away on on the field. Hopefully, they get resolved there on the back end. Uh, there's another off the field story that I do want to talk about um, that has nothing to do with football, but does kind of intersect with a, a couple of my interests here it, for folks who might uh, have missed this. I want to say this was on, uh, I, I think, I think this, this, I think this did happen on Saturday. There was a, a, a Duke BYU women's volleyball match matches in Provo sellout. Uh, you know, both programs are, are, are competitive on a, on a national stage. Thousands of thousands of people are there. And, uh, you know, reportedly 
uh, one of the um, the women's volleyball players here for Duke, a young woman named Rachel Richardson, uh, releases a statement. Her godmother, god godparents released a statement on social media saying that she was repeatedly targeted by really vicious racial taunts, um, and and that you know, went beyond just racial slurs, but that people were saying stuff to her about, about you know being careful when you get back to the bus. You're very ugly things, and I believe the video broadcast shows that a uh, a police officer goes over to, to Duke's bench. Um, Richardson says that volleyball officials during the match and people at BYU were made aware of what was happening. Nobody, for whatever reason, made proactive attempts to, to stop it. Um, afterwards, BYU releases a statement saying, hey, one, you know, we went back to the video. We found the fan. Fan wasn't a student. Fan was sitting with the students. We banned that person from campus. Athletic director Tom Homo uh, gives a, a, a statement, you know, later, you know, encouraging BYU fans to um, elevate their standard of conduct and their obligations, given their sponsoring institution about treating people equally. Um, the Duke was scheduled to play another game in Provo. They play at a different site uh, away from BYU's campus. Um, and uh, the, 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 uh, the volleyball player has, has reached out and said some things here on social media. So there's, there's been a lot of follow-up conversations and I have, I still have, I still have several myself because I feel like the timeline has been muddled a little bit as one would expect with an event of, of this magnitude. And I, at first, I guess I'm going to say something that's going to, I think paint me as naive and out of touch, but I have to be honest, Brian, it literally never occurred to me that somebody would say such vile things at a women's volleyball game. And I, I say this like if you told me there was racial slurs at a basketball game or a football game or uh, a, a different uh, sport where, there's, where there was going to be 10,000 people in, in the audience, I would say that's terrible. It's unfortunate. Could I believe? I mean, but is that a thing that ha that could happen? Yes. People I've been in student sections. I've been in these games. I've heard people say terrible things. It never occurred to me that at a volleyball match, that's something that might happen, regardless of where it might happen. But but here here it, it appears that it has and it's raised. Uh, some some big questions, some big questions about what is owed operationally, what is owed from the administration, from Duke, uh, from BYU, and and uh, and some other factors here as well to make sure that something like this uh, hopefully never happens again. Yeah, and, and and to be clear, just for for timeline purposes, I believe the match took place on on Friday night. You're right. That's right. Saturday, Friday, the, the reports when, were coming story, out on Saturday. Yeah, story was was kind of when it blew up. Uh, was, was early Saturday, uh, That's both right. from from um, you know the player's godmother tweeting about the the incident itself, and then BYU of it. To, they eventually released a statement, so um, that's that's, right. that's that's that. But you're you're right. I mean, like to to, to see this happening at a, at a volleyball match. I mean, that that to me was like uh, that that made me caused caused me to do a double take. Like, like wait wait a minute, what's what's going on? Why is BYU, you know, releasing the statement? And I I also have a lot of questions about why why there was not more proactive um, you know steps being taken in the venue during the game itself. You know, that, that to me is where the real breakdown occurs because if if this athlete was hearing this, you know, uh, it does sound like you know her teammates were. It does sound like Duke made BYU aware of the issue. You know why yeah. why were there not more proactive things? And you know BYU statements kind of said you know what we we tried to identify we nobody's nobody kind of raised their hand to, to say that, that you know who who it was. Like if this was a non student in the student section which is what their, their statement originally says I, I i would think you could be pretty easily f figure out who that is and and the fact that people around that person did not kind of point them out to police or you know ushers or whoever was involved at byu that is a red flag to me and uh you know it, it's it's another you know bad mark you know against uh you know the byu community who, who i don't think this certainly values represent but like it did happen it did happen on the campus and it yes. is a serious accusation and it is something that 
lot of folks, you know, around there need to kind of look around and say, how, how can we not only make uh, this, this situation is, is made right for, for the uh, student athletes and, and for Duke itself, but also how, how can we make sure this does not happen again? Yeah. You yeah. But no, there's, there, there this, 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 it's a great point. I, I do want to talk about that. I, um, something else I, I I've been trying to find the best way to articulate and, and maybe this show is, is, is a, is a good medium for it, right? Most people listening to this know I'm LDS. Um, I have not lived in Utah. I did not go to the school, uh, but I am a member of the church of the sponsoring institution. I also have, you know, my mom was from Brazil and I, I do have a fair amount, I think of, of lived experience within the LDS community, particularly as it pertains to uh, maybe how people who look a little bit different uh, or act a little bit different can be treated because I, I saw this a ton on Twitter and I, you see this in the comment section. Anytime anybody's talked about this story, it's like, well, this is a racist institution. It's a racist sponsoring church. They have a very terrible racial history. Like, are you surprised? And like, I look at this and think, I am surprised. And I'm so, and I, am I surprised because there are, I do not think that there are problems with racism within LDS church communities. No, like I could tell you friends, that's a thing. And you don't need to go, you know, explain the history to me. I've written like 10,000 words about the black 14, man. Like I, I, I know this history. Um, I, I've, I've, I've read all the same stuff that, that you're throwing to me here. In my experience, when looking at this, the idea of somebody using the N word or using this level of explicit language does fly against how I have seen this activity. Um, is there racism in this community uh, in a way of trying to be more subtle um, or, or, or less, fra uh, less fragrant, uh, flagrant, but still extremely hurtful to people? Of course. Uh, are, are, there, are there problems, racism that comes up because leadership throughout a lot of this institution and a lot of local communities does not have cultural competencies because there aren't a whole lot of people of color that are leading congregations or in leadership positions in a lot of the in, in the church or at the school and other places. Yeah. And, and you know, that's a different podcast. You want to talk about why that is. I can tell you why it doesn't happen. But like that's that's probably a different episode. So like I, I, I don't want to put get the church off the hook or insinuate that this, this isn't an issue. Right. And I know you spent a, a fair amount of time in Utah, too. Um, there are demographic realities of that of that state. And you could you could see how how. Um, uh, issues could happen, not like this, but you, you know, you, I, I don't, I don't think it's a shock that that uh, any place where one ethnic group tends to over completely dominate, how uh, you know there there may be signals mixed in some other places here. What what I, what I what is especially frustrating to I think to look at this experience, the after fact is, I think it is hard, in part because of that history for a BYU leader um, or or somebody high up within the church to say, wow. A racist thing happened. It's easier to use other couching language. An unfortunate incident happened. Um, you know, language that did not live up to our standards happened. We failed to to follow, uh, you know, uplift our Christian standards happened. Those things are true. It was also racism. And I know that people are terrified of being accused of being racist or accused of all the things that are happening right now on social media. And I understand why people get, you know, get are, are hurt about those. And not all of those attacks are, are fair. You do have to call the thing that happened what it happened. And I, I would look at that and say, based on my experience and my vantage point as being part of this community, I do believe that is a blind spot. Um, and it is something that I think in many ways, I think that athletic department university understand. It's not an accident why many of those coaching staffs are more diverse than almost any other place you're going to see in contemporary U.S. Mormondom um, and, and why they've talked about it and they appear on these subcommittees and everything. So I, I want them to do better. 
not because I mean I want them to do better because in part because it's a reflection on on me too, right? Um, and and a reflection on 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 this world. But I just want them to do better because they, we owe it to ourselves as members of the human race and as 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 and as as you know participants in this sport and in this community to to treat people better and to make sure that that happens. I see a lot of people, a, a lot of uh, you know outlets or people on, online within Utah or within like you know, this 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 cultural world of being very defensive. I understand it. I know it's hurts. I know it's uncomfortable. You got to do it. You got to lean into it. And the what you had kind of touched on, regardless of what happened operationally during the game or what BYU did or didn't do, sounds like they messed up. I'm trying to learn more. And part of that is because I don't really know a whole lot about what happens operationally during women's volleyball games and, and whose responsibility would be to direct the police officer there, here or there. I don't know. Um, it may very well be what they messed up. What I, I do know is that that event happened and somebody said those things and, some, and a bunch of somebody sitting around them almost certainly heard them and didn't say anything. And that should inspire some very difficult introspection to anybody involved about why that didn't happen. Because I slept through a lot of Sunday school. I slept through a lot of early morning seminary. Um, the don't use racial slurs lesson, you know, that, that, that sunk in pretty easily, I think, in my ecclesiastical training. And, and the idea of God not being respecters of a person and 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 what we owe to each other that that sunk in. So if that was missed here, we got to ask ourselves some tough questions as to why. Yeah, that's well said, and I think you and I both know a, a lot of folks you know that uh, work at the athletic department at BYU, and and certainly yeah. you know th this doesn't kind of reflect some a lot of their values. I mean, truly, they especially since Tom Homo has, has kind of taken over, they they've been kind of almost out of, going out of their way uh, to make sure they are more accommodating, more uh, you know, kind of accepting of of everybody, making sure everybody has a good experience there there at BYU, and, and putting some of that uh, nebulous past behind them. I mean, they, you know, just just seeing the progress on on campus locally uh, with issues like LGBTQ issues, you know, that that's come a long way, um, you know, even given their church ties uh, these last couple of years. So, um, you know, I, I think that the problem, you know, is, is a greater one beyond just being you and <laughs> had, had a long, had a long way to go on, yeah. on that front. I don't know if I'm ready to throw BYU a parade for that yet. Oh, no, no, I, I definitely just... understand. It's it has come a long way. No, that's, it, yeah, that's you're, you're you're starting a, a little bit further behind for, from yeah. a lot of folks, you know, uh, for a lot of other campuses. But like, look, the racism is a, a issue with this country. It's it unfortunately yeah. been uh, yeah. even more magnified these last you know six to eight years or so, um, even even more so. And uh, you know, I think that's something that uh, I think everybody has to be acutely aware of. And this is something that is is not limited to BYU. I mean, the, you hear racist incidents like this, you know, across the sporting landscape. You know, I mean, I'm like, I, as, as a lot of people know, I'm, I'm big on European soccer. It seems like every week, you know, there's um, some incident, you know, that, uh, you know, ends up making the new story. And, you know, what are those yeah. leagues doing in terms of reaction? You know, that, that is to me, you know, where, where my my viewpoint on this, you know, kind of comes into mind with with BYU in terms of what was ultimately happening, you know, in the moment. And, and how operationally you can get better on that front. I think that's something that administrators across the country can kind of say, hey, let's take this incident, let's learn from it, let's teach our, you know, our security guards, let's teach people to kind of spot this stuff. Because you know, if if uh, in, in a European soccer game at, at a sixty thousand seat stadium, if if they're able to uh, hear it on the pitch and then you know point out you know fans or, or you know what sections and they remove quickly uh, some of those patrons, you know that that is uh, you know something that uh, easily can come to this side of the, the Atlantic with uh, whether it be a football game, whether it be volleyball games like this, you know, you, you can teach your people to do things the right way. And, um, you know, that's where it's, this this can be a learning uh, experience, not just for, for BYU moving forward, but for a lot of athletic departments out there that uh, need to protect their student athletes as best they can, and especially protect those visiting student athletes, not only make sure that they have a great experience, 
when they come to compete. But um, understand that this is this is not acceptable in, in any manner, uh, much less, uh, you know, in, in, in general society and in, in general life, uh, much less at an NCAA sporting event. You're you're exactly right. I think that's a that's a great uh, you know, comparative example. This is something that is an issue in, in most European soccer leagues and, and being able to identify those people and, and, and make sure that there are codes of conduct that are expected. Um, I'm, I'm just checking in here with a, a buddy of mine that covers the covers BYU um, uh, for uh, one of the local outlets. They were saying like, hey, I'm at a soccer game right now and there's not a whole lot of people here. And they read that over the PA. I'm like, hey, if you see something, say something. That's right. Because while there are things unique to this campus and this community and this county and this history where you could say, like, OK, I could I could draw some straight lines, see why this happened. Could I also see a place at, at a, another PWI that's 88 percent Caucasian um, at, at a different sporting event saying something that would be really offensive? Yeah, like that could happen. And unfortunately, that could happen in a Montana. That could happen in South Dakota. That could happen in Ohio or Tennessee or, or Vermont or, or any number of other places. It would look different, but something bad can still happen. So I, I think you're right. This is a lesson for operationally and, you know, and, and what you want, what culture you want to have that I hope is discussed everywhere. Uh, and I think the last thing I'll note is I think we are all fortunate that, uh, you know, that, that Rachel at, at Duke, uh, took some real leadership with this and, 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 you know, explain, Hey, this is exactly you know how I felt. Here's what happened. Here's what our, our teammates want, want the world to know. Here's what I want the world to know. Um, and, and uh, I think it sucks that in a lot of these kind of situations, there is a disproportionate burden placed on the victim that's placed on the student. Um, I think it would have been nice to hear more from other people at Duke um, before we heard uh, or, 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 you know, in conjunction with hearing from the athletes themselves, I, I will say both in this experience and in most of my professional experience, the more we hear from the athletes and the better we get to know them and hear from them, the more impressive they are. Um, and and uh, especially when compared to maybe sometimes some of the adults, whether that's defending themselves when they've been the victims of something or celebrating their own accomplishments or letting us get to, as the world get to know who they are as people. Uh, I am, I am, I am grateful for, for her statement and grateful for however she wants to, uh, you know, shed some light on this and, and, and move forward from it, whatever makes sense for her. Cause that's, that's a hard thing to ask for a sophomore um, or, or junior. Um, it wasn't all depressing <laughs> and, and, and existential and everything over here, these uh, the, the, the past couple of days, but those are two, you know, fairly big questions that, you know, I think for our audience, dem you know, demonstrate, Hey, this is why it's important to, to have the excellent in this and this and this and this other department to make sure that the focus is on the athletes themselves and their successes and, and their triumphs rather than we messed up paperwork or we failed to monitor some assholes that got into our student section or maybe we have not been uh, we, we haven't uh, set an expectation to, uh, as, a, as a community the way that we want to because that all of that stuff shapes what you do see on Saturdays. Yeah, and, I, and I'll say that uh, you know seeing those issues pop up in in week six or seven is is a whole different thing than seeing some of the issues pop up in in weeks, especially after you know it does seem like this is a, a fairly normal you know college athletics season, and so I feel like that uh, you know, people's you know whether fan behavior or whether just kind of getting back into the flow of things. Um, things can be a, a, a little bit slow for a lot of these athletic departments as they kind of get back into the swing of things. Um, you know, with with the you know sellouts, we we already seen uh, a lot of these places. Whether week zero, week one, 
announced some massive sellouts. So I feel like the the appetite for college athletics has has never been greater going into the year. And if you're an administrator out there, you got to keep that in the back of your mind. Sometimes that means um, fans are going to do some some stupid things. You got to you know adjust and, and be aware of that. Already facing staffing issues. I, I noticed, uh, you know, just chatting with some folks across the country, whether it be security, whether it be concessions, you know, that those type of issues are still popping up. So, um, some some teething issues uh, for sure in, in college athletics. But uh, the good news is, uh, we did we did get some action back on the field. You know who who hasn't struggled to get you know get back onto the swing of things and nail things right from the get go. That would be our good friends at Home Field Apparel. It was, I, was, I was trying to find a good way for us to dig out of this ditch because I don't think, you know, to, to, to help the good brand. But I'm always happy to talk about the good brands who finished their uh, final big new Saturday campaign with, of course, my beloved alma mater, the Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm wearing one of their shirts right now. We're talking about a going for two podcast. Makes sense to wear a going for three shirt. They were unfortunately unable to, to, to beat Penn State. Hopefully that happens on the field this year. But Penn State will forever be your big new Saturday champions for selling stuff on the first day for our friends at home field. Uh, I have been told that just because they're not doing big new Saturday anymore, they are going to drop a bunch of new schools. Uh, through trying to do some FOIA research on EA Sports video game, I have learned of two uh, schools that are, that are G5 schools that are going to be releasing uh, home field collections later this year. Um, but you can buy a bunch of cool stuff right now, including – the Indianapolis Colts, they, they, they've launched into the professional side. I don't know anything about the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think I could name five people on the Colts. This is not that kind of podcast. I'm not that kind of sports fan. They do look cool as hell, though. Um, and you can find all of those at homefieldapparel.com, whether you want T-shirts, hoodies, stickers for your favorite collegiate brand with a fun, unique vintage iconography, or the Indianapolis Colts. I don't know if other professional teams will be coming soon. I can't really foil with them. And. Connor hasn't told me, uh, but maybe the Colts won't be the only one. I don't know. The only way to know is to go throw money at them. And when you do, use promo code extra points to save 15% off of your order. Funnel some money to us to help support this show and support our friends, the good brand in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a local tie-in, obviously, with the the, the Colts there. But uh, it, it's some snazzy-looking gear, and, and hopefully a, a lot more uh, NFL teams can can get on board because you go back some of those like old Eagles logos. Oh man, I, I tell you what, so that's that's just like made for some some home field uh, doggers. So uh, hopefully, hopefully, a good brand can get in get in the good graces of uh, the big old league, and uh, we we can see a lot more. But hey, I I am happy enough with with the the amount of co- content they already have on on the college front, and what else is coming as well down the pipe because it sounds like it's 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 some pretty exciting new designs coming our way who's the quarterback for the colts right now uh, that would be matt ryan wait really yeah who did they trade for matt ryan uh just picks yeah yeah just uh basically kind of picked him off off the scrap heap as uh, atlanta kind of kind of moved on he was really uh not too happy about the the uh, falcons kind of getting in on the deshaun watson uh trade sweepstakes which uh in retrospect, you can definitely understand. And so he went, asked for a way out. And so he's made his way to Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, I think they're one of the more intriguing teams in the AFC this year. This is one of this. I'm, I'm sure I should have known this, but my brain has been ruined so much that like that feel what you just described feels like it happened seven years ago. Yeah. Well, I, I was doing some some NF, more NFL preview stuff uh, for for Athlon, you know, uh, the other day, and just like uh, kind of going through, you know, it's like, man, this it, it feels like the, the longest off season, especially because so much has been dominated in terms of the 
Watson talk and whether, you know, what's, what's going on there and, you know, how many games is he going to get suspended? And there's finally clarity around that, but it's like, you know what, there's, there's a ton of intriguing storylines in, in, in the league this year. And, um, you know, I think that that's kind of the same in, in college football outside of, you know, kind of, all right, we, we know Alabama is going to be good. We, we know Ohio state's going to be good. Yeah. Georgia's probably going to be, you know, kind of right there with them again. But like after that, you know, there's a whole lot of intrigue, a whole lot of storylines, you know, in, in college football and the NFL. And uh, that, that's what makes for a fun start to the season as hope, reign supreme whether you're a pro football fan or you're a college football fan now there's speaking of hope there's one place i would like to quickly talk about before we wrap up here that now seems bereft of hope um and i don't want to dog pile on but i kind of do a little bit because for some whatever reason making fun of this program is funny have we seen our last scott frost day after now seeing this 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 game i believe for the 17th consecutive time well, I, I wouldn't put it past uh, Scott Frost resurfacing in a, in a head coaching gig uh, elsewhere uh, after the he, season. But he's not old. I mean, he's, and I don't think he's a terrible football coach. This is just a, a – it, it, the math doesn't math on this. You would think that it's impossible to keep losing this many close games, and yet – Oh yeah, and I I think the the one thing that that I keep in the back of my mind is is why this is such a, a pressing storyline for really the entire industry too is just the the way his new contract was kind of reworked and his buyout structure to where it makes it very easy to kind of get rid of him come October. You know they they have they they play Oklahoma then they they have a bye week and then it's kind of into the Big Ten schedule. But like you know there's there's definitely uh, the ability for Trev Alberts there to kind of pull the ripcord early. And get this co college coaching uh, carousel started uh, very early with, with a pretty marquee opening. You, you got to keep in mind that, you know, like there's there's going to be some movement. Certainly Auburn is, is one to kind of keep an eye out. But uh, Nebraska, in terms of kind of big time openings, um, they're they're going to be right near the the top of the list. They're they're opening a brand new palatial facility, um, you know, pretty soon. Like that, they've got all the resources there uh, to have a winning football team and kind of get back to maybe not uh, the heights that they were back in the '90s or anything like that. But they they should at least be able to kind of get back to the Bo Pelini era nine and three caliber, um, yeah. especially given the and uh, in in the Big Ten. But um, you know that that is going to be a, a very interesting storyline. It's just kind of what uh, when uh, Nebraska might end up making a move on, on Scott Frost, whether they kind of keep him around. He is he is kind of beloved, you know. Certainly there, um, you know, by that fan base, by the administration, that they they all want him to do well. But you know, at the same time, I, I mean, it's just like a, a constant stream of reminders that. He's the common thread throughout all of these issues, you know, whether it's, you know, losing late, whether it's kicking onside kicks at the, at the wrong time, inopportune times, blowing all these late leads. Uh, I mean, just not being able to finish at the end of games. The common thread is Scott Frost. He's, he's changed assistant coaches. He's recruited different guys. He's, he's brought um, new guys in like it just, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's, there's one common thread and that all points in one direction. And, as, as tough as it is, uh, you know, to, to, to Cannon alum who has uh, brought so many beloved memories uh, back in the day for, for a lot of Huskers fans, that might be what we're kind of staring at, especially if things get ugly in that Oklahoma game. The, the Oklahoma game does seem like a pretty fascinating bellwether. So uh, if you'll indulge me real quick a, 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 to a, for a quick podcasting trope, which is in case you've forgotten Nebraska's schedule off the top of your head. Um, one, they didn't schedule a bye week immediately after a trip to Ireland. Which yeah, I know that too. That's yeah. right. And like they're playing North Dakota, who's not North Dakota State, but they're not bad. 
Well, as, as we got we got into the, on the last uh, podcast with uh, Sam Herter in our FCS preview, I mean, North Dakota is one of those mountain mountain uh, Missouri Valley uh, football conference teams that uh, is, is very competitive. You know, week in, week out. We saw them a couple of years ago. You know, they, they pushed Minnesota, you know, to the brink. So, like, this is not an, an easy pushover FCS game as you kind of get back. And I, I can understand that uh, it, it is a little bit easier traveling from, you know, if you're kind of or you've you've kind of made your your plane trip already, you're, you're flying back. You uh, I think they arrived at like three a.m. Uh, back in, in Omaha is actually where they flew into um, last week. So you can maybe, I guess, understand that, you know, you just kind of want to get maybe you value that extra bye week uh, later in the season a, a little yeah. bit more. But it, it just uh, given all the the NFL teams that, that have done it and gone across the pond, most of them schedule, uh, you know, that extra bye week afterwards, which, um, you know, it, it, it we'll see. We'll see because it's, it's going to be a tough turnaround and a lot of attention on that game in particular. So uh, it's as, as much as. Uh, you, know, you you had uh, the tough loss. You got to turn right around, and you got to kind of lay it on UND because um, you know the negative headlines are not going to stop. No, 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 they're 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 not. Northwestern has a bye that week. Uh, Nebraska does not. So they have North Dakota, Georgia Southern at home back back weeks. They should be favored to win both of those. You are home for Oklahoma. You played Oklahoma really tough last year on the road. Um, this Oklahoma team on paper right now doesn't seem quite as good as last year. So they should still I mean, they're still preseason top ten team. I would agree with a bye week after that game. If Nebraska gets murdered, that would be a question. But then, okay, so let's say you let's say you lose close because it's a Nebraska game. Like that's kind of what happens. You're two and two. You're heading into the bye week, October first. That Saturday, homecoming. Uh, you're hosting Indiana, and Indiana does not project to be very good this year. They might. I mean, they could go over in uh, in, in the in the Big Ten, and then you have a road games at Rutgers and Purdue before another bye week. You could, even if you're not that good, you could win all three of those games. Those those aren't necessarily easy ones. And suddenly you're five and two. You're hitting in delayed October, and now you're in the also receiving votes category again. Well, That's- what's what's really interesting, especially about that schedule in particular, is so number one, Scott Frost's buyout drops on October first. He goes from yeah. fifty million to about seven and a half million, which sounds like a lot, but let's face it, this is the Big Ten. We we all know what those media deals are getting. Yeah. That's not going to be an issue if they wanted to move on from him after October first. Yeah, but you mentioned the, the schedule. I mean, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois, kind of the, some of those Big Ten uh, West teams. Like, if you get on a roll and you want to make a change, you know, do you want to kind of be proactive? We kind of saw Texas Tech do this last year, where they the administration kind of said, you know what, this is not really working out. We want to kind of get on a move on, not only on our search, but we don't want to have that head coach kind of get some momentum to where they make a bowl game or they, they win eight or nine games, and then we can't fire them, right? So uh, I think this is going to be a big decision for Trev Alberts. In terms of timing and in terms of getting the market started for sure, you know, right around October 1st. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it can come down to can they be competitive with Oklahoma and win that game possibly? But, um, you know, the, there's there's going to be some hard decisions either way. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure this is a true season killer, but just from a perception standpoint, constant refrain of Scott Frost, hot seat. And, and the players hear it, you know. Scott Frost, hot seat, hot seat, hot seat. That, that's going to be pretty much every week of the season. And so, you know, do you want to kind of get away from that? Uh, we, we've seen things go bad. We saw it with USC last year as well. You know, when when uh, yeah. got fired, that team quit. You know, that there, there's no two ways about it. That team quit, and uh, they, they kind of limped their way to the finish. Are Nebraska fans really going to get behind that? Do you kind of want to wait, or do you want to kind of chance it and, and go through that run where you are playing, uh, you know, much improved Purdue team? You know, maybe maybe there's a, a chance, you know what, those teams look so good, maybe maybe they'll do the talking for us, and we don't have to worry about the Nebraska kind of getting on a roll. But we'll, we'll see. But it does make for a very intriguing October, uh, you know, there in Lincoln. 
I, there's there's an argument to be made. That, yeah, and you brought up Auburn too. And uh, I, I'll, the last thing I'll quickly say about Auburn, because I was just running a little bit long. I don't know if I would say moving on from Alan Green is Auburn being Auburn, because like you and I knew that was coming like seven months ago. Um, and so did people that are not super plugged into the athletic director. I mean, I think we even joked about it with Richard was on here, right? Like that was not a surprise. Mr. Green was looking at, has been looking at other jobs there for a while. Um, certainly if your president and your AD are gone and your head coach barely survived a coup and you're, you're not, I don't have a, a deep roster heading into the season. It would make sense. Yeah. Uh, Harson's going to have to do really well to probably keep that job. There's a case to be made. I don't know if I agree with it yet, but there's a case to be made that Nebraska might still be one of the, maybe like the, one of the top three, top two jobs that could open up this cycle. So that might, maybe that gives you more flexibility to wait longer, especially because this is the favorite son and, and it jettisoning him would be hurtful and in, in ways that that might not be the case for Elaine Kiffin uh, or, or, or somebody, you know, similar that that doesn't have that long institutional tie. Um, maybe it would be different if Nebraska was entering into a coaching search era where multiple high-level SEC and Big Ten teams were likely to do so as well. I don't think right now there's a ton of teams in the Nebraska-Auburn phylum uh, that are likely to have coaching vacancies in mid-October. Now we say that now, and who knows what the next five weeks are going to happen. That's a lot of time for someone to commit an NCAA violation or for some other terrible thing to happen. But uh, that's what it looks like now. I will definitely be paying attention there. Uh, what are you watching this, uh, this weekend? Well, I, I just would, would, would want to follow up just uh, briefly on, on, on that point. I mean, it, yeah. it does make for a very interesting coaching cell because a lot of the marquee programs have, have already kind of made that turnover. You know, we got yeah. new coaches at Florida at USC, um, you know, start going into his second year, um, you know, plus an, an SEC transition, Oklahoma hiring, uh, Brent Venable. So it's like a lot of the marquee programs that would be kind of ahead of the, the pecking order for Nebraska. Uh, you know, they really have already made their coaching change. So, um, you know, it does tend to be a potential, um, kind of quieter market, I would say, uh, in, in the coaching community, uh, certainly from, from not having the kind of marquee openings uh, standpoint, really, you're, you're right. It's just kind of Nebraska and Auburn that are expected to come open. I think Georgia Tech is, is one that a lot of folks are looking at as well. Uh, Jeff Collins, just yeah. um, the, the record just not there and, and maybe not the, the on-field progress. They've hoped to see, and, and that's one of the smallest uh, budgets, you know, in, in the ACC in terms of the actual football spend. So there's, um, you know, a lot of questions surrounding Georgia Tech and, and where that might fit into the Arizona State possibly coming open at some point during the year as well. I think there's there's very much an expectation that there will be changes there in Tempe, but you know what? As attractive as, as some of those openings are, you know, it just could be a very quiet uh, carousel, and so I think that that does make it, uh, you know, quite interesting when it ha- we do have one of those market movers um, like Nebraska potentially coming open earlier rather than late. Kind of seeing that be a, a trend as part of this cycle, but uh, yeah, you know, and, and then speaking of, of you know week one, I mean, where where else can you go but uh, Ohio State Notre Dame? I think that uh, is, is going to be the the game of the week. It's, you know, obviously game day's there. I'm, I'm sure you're uh, not sweating bullets at all. Uh, you know, when uh, Ohio State's only up 14-3, you know, in, in the second quarter. But. Uh, of course, I mean, I, I feel that way. Um, when I so in case any athletic directors are listening, and and you can call up Jerry at Ohio State, and he can vouch for this. When I have covered Ohio State games in person, I have been a consummate professional. Um, when I am watching an Ohio State game in my basement, I am swearing like a Tourette's patient. Like I am, I am, and and it's, it's I don't even care the same way that I did like 
20 years ago, like it, it, it is different. And if I don't watch the game, like I won't be bothered, but you're right. But if it's 14, three and Ohio state, you know, punts from like the, the 48 and Nebraska, and like Notre Dame has a nice return. I'm, I'm just gonna like, I will, I will be rude. The Buckeyes are a 17 and a half point favorite in that game. Notre Dame's coming in with some significant injuries. Uh, they're starting get, I think a, a redshirt freshman quarterback, I want to say, or just like a, a, a new, like, Famous last words because Ohio State has laid an egg in these early season big out of conference games. This is not the helmet game that I think will be the closest. Well, yeah, I mean, seventeen points. I think that says it says it all in terms of uh, Florida State LSU. That's who I was thinking of here before I was so distracted. Yeah, well, you know, I I think it is a very a lot of intriguing games. I mean, we we were just talking about North Carolina earlier in the in the podcast. I mean, they're going to App State. Uh, that that's going to be a terrific atmosphere there in Boone. They're probably lucky that that game is earlier in the day and not a night game in Boone because I can I can only imagine the kind of crowd that, that they would get for that. North Carolina actually is an underdog in that game now. I, I saw the lines move on, on that one. Um, you know, Cincinnati and Arkansas. A very intriguing matchup to see what those two teams are going to look like. Obviously, mm-hmm. kind of have rebuilding situation with with Cincinnati, given the NFL talent that they've lost. But you know, Luke Fickle's got that program prime. They've they've recruited high level. They're they're very well coached. Um, you know, we we've seen Arkansas you know, make some strides, and, and especially given how competitive their schedule is, they got to travel to BYU uh, later in the year. I, I mean, that that's a game Arkansas has to win. Um, you know, to kind of get back into that a range where, where they're making a bowl game and, and making some consistent progress. Uh, you know Arizona, San Diego State, uh, another very interesting game to, to me. I, I think Arizona's made some a lot of progress in terms of the amount of talent they've had, and, and that's the uh, San Diego State's new opening of their stadium uh, on Big CBS, and uh, you know very intriguing. I think uh, I was reading the uh, you know just uh, earlier um, you know about how how much there's talk certainly regarding the the, the Title IX lawsuits and, and everything that's been happening at San Diego State related to Matt Ariza has, has been in the news, which is uh, disappointing I think for a lot of Aztecs fans that I've talked with just in terms of having such a negative story overshadow, but it should be a crowning moment for that football program in terms of opening the stadium. A lot of talk about them joining potentially the PAC 12 as an expansion candidate. Like it's, it's uh, the biggest negative story that you can have coming at the wrong time for a university that, that wants to kind of celebrate the progress they've made as a football program. But uh, that is going to be an intriguing one for me as well. Yeah. There's, 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 there's a lot of fun stuff. We had, we didn't, we didn't even talk about Clemson. We didn't. Uh, we didn't talk about. I, I, oh, last thing, and then and then we'll let everybody go because this has run long. Um, the adopted team of extra points, the UConn football Huskies, looked, looked good. pretty good. Looked pretty good. Uh, this is going to be the Twitter bit that I'm going to go out on a limb for here. Talk to your children about conventionally bad UConn. Four win UConn. SP plus top 115 UConn. Not automatic meme UConn. Um, they did basically turn over half of their team. Now, is, could their coaching staff be in a mess right now with assistants fighting each other? Could be. Um, would that matter necessarily with their schedule? I don't know. But I'm 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 going out there. I liked what I saw from from, from part of that game. Uh, I think UConn's just going to be regular bad. Would you know boring bad? Not holy crap! Look at this smoldering tire fire bad. We, we will probably talk about some smoldering tire fire bad stuff uh, throughout. The rest, the rest of the season. Um, you can, of course, follow this show uh, on Spotify and on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts. You can find Extra Points at extrapointsmb.com. I wrote earlier this week about some updates regarding Oregon and the Big Ten and what people actually talk about with those cons- television consultant meetings, and, and, and I, which I think clears up maybe some misconceptions on the Internet about how media rights valuations actually work. 
We have some interesting new interviews on Collegiate Sports Connect that Brian has done. We'll have some more later this week. Um, I think that's about everything within the D1 Ticker Extended Universe. Subscribe to all of our stuff. Read it. Tell your friends. Tell your athletic director. Tell your coaches. Tell your local beat writer. Tell your parents uh, that we make some pretty fun things. And we'll see you again very soon online.